my, my heart's kind of still in the in the place it's been for the last uh, at least with with respect to this this meeting and the things that are being shared here I've kind of been hovering around uh, the the reality of kind of what it means to really walk with the spirit or what are the experiences of walking with the spirit or what does that even mean and been just been talking about whatever honestly kind of uh pops in my head the morning of um of these meetings and I still kind of got out this morning and was turning to the Lord and I still kind of felt to just maybe take another whack at this whole this whole reality because I just I feel like in so many ways this is what Christianity has gotten away from it's gotten I mean there's a bunch of ways to say it but in kind of a tragic way I think that Christianity has become something that that almost you could say doesn't really even need the spirit of God to continue I know that kind of sounds ugly but I think it's kind of true I I remember one time I was um I think I might have been just praying or something and the thought came to my mind like and this is obviously impossible but if God just abandoned the planet and disappeared how much of what is called Christian Christian religion or Christianity would go on completely the same as always would be un unaffected and unaltered, unchanged by the absence of God's presence or his power or his life or his light or his truth, living truth, working in their lives, in their hearts and in their meetings. And I don't know, just something, something for you to consider. I, I wonder how much, I wonder how much would, would uh, be unscathed by that, unfazed by that, um, by that, which of course doesn't make any sense, but it's just a thought, and and kind of the contrary to that thought is the question: um, Are we experiencing a Christianity? Have we come to a reality of walking with God, walking with God in His Son, where if the Lord did, for some impossible reason, abandon the planet and disappear? that that would immediately be the end of everything that we do together that has any sense of benefit to it or reality to it or goodness to it. I mean, would would the lack of his presence, the lack of his light, the lack of his guidance, his power, his truth working among us be the end uh, of, of what uh, what we could, would, would manifest that we can do nothing without him? And I hope it would. I hope it would because I think we should be in a state of such a continual dependence upon the Lord for everything that and growing in a sense of his presence and his work in us in such a degree that just the mere thought of trying to do life or especially do church without the, the experience of his life and presence and power working in the heart, um, I hope that that would just seem absolutely impossible to us. So 
I wanna I wanna talk a little bit more this morning about walking in his light or or you could say walking in his covenant. And and I wanna use I wanna continue to use if it's okay, um the pictures of of this reality in the old covenant. Now, someone might ask if they're not familiar, very familiar with the old covenant, they might say, well, why aren't you just using the, the things that are stated in the new covenant? And, you know, we could just talk about verses in the new covenant, but all of the verses and realities that are declared to have been come in Christ in the new covenant have these incredible pictures that God's painted of those spiritual realities for us in hundreds of pages that he's given us in the Old old Covenant. That's really what the Old Covenant is. It's a testimony to bring us to Christ. It's a tutor to bring us to Christ. And it does that in a bunch of ways. It does that by, by the law exposing sin and bringing us to the need of Christ. But it also does that in a whole bunch of ways where it, it paints these pictures for us and these outward signs and figures and shadows of what the realities are that did come and should be inward spiritual experiences for us who, who live in the new covenant, if we even know, you know, what that means and are, are doing that. And, and so rather than just kind of try to think of my own analogies or my own pictures of like, here's how I would describe what Paul's saying in Romans, I feel like so so frequently all you have to do is just go back to the pictures that God has given us and there's the there's the perfect there's the perfect picture for you. And that's the that's the case with I think everything. But it's particularly the case in my heart right now with what it means to walk in the light or or to walk in the covenant. When when the Lord when the Lord uh, called Israel, when the Lord opened up a door for Israel to come out of a condition of slavery to death and to darkness and to Pharaoh and a, a condition that's compared to trying to make uh, bricks without straw. When he called them out of that, he opened a door for them through the blood of the lamb and parted the Red Sea and brought them out to himself. And Israel celebrated and uh, danced around with tambourines for a few days. <clears throat> and that, that was probably appropriate. Uh, but then immediately after that little, um, t- that time, the Lord said to them in Exodus 19, verse uh, four, he says, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians. And how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. That's a beautiful scripture. And I think it, it, it has to do with everything that Christ has done for us, uh, outside of us. He opened a door. He, he, he uh, gave a lamb. He defeated the one who had the power to keep us forever under his power and jurisdiction. He parted an impossible, he removed a, 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 a wall of partition, the great sea, and brought us to himself. Most, well, I, I can say for myself, I liked the idea for a number of years of, of stopping there and, and celebrating 
uh, that, that, that reality and talking a lot about it. And, but then it goes on in the next verse and it says, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then... So I want you to kind of understand that the re- there's a reason that he did what he did to the Egyptians, opened the door that he opened, lifted them up on eagles' wings and brought them to himself. It wasn't just uh, to bring them into a relationship with, with him that was a static position or a legal contract or a new state of being saved. It was in order to bring them into a relationship with him where now they can obey his voice and keep his covenant. And if they do that, then there'll be a special treasure to me above all the peoples of the earth for all the earth is mine and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. And and so he says that they have to walk in the covenant. And if they walk in the covenant, they'll be made into this kingdom of priests, this holy nation. Now, what does it mean? I've talked about this a little bit in the last few meetings. What does it mean to walk in the covenant? I think again, you can kind of picture if you if if you this is at least how my mind has come to picture it over the years. God brings them up with eagle's wings out of Egypt, brings them through this impossible sea, and plops them down in the middle of a circle, and and it's a circle that and that circle is the covenant. That circle is a circle of light. It's like if you're out in the middle of the woods in the middle of nowhere, it's pitch dark at night, and you light a campfire. You've got a circle of light. You can stay in that light, and if you stay in that light, then you can see. If you go outside the boundaries, and I know there's not like fixed boundaries of a campfire light, but there is a place where you go out far enough you can't see anything. And, and so, and so what, is, what God then begins to teach Israel to do is to walk in that covenant, to walk in that light. And what that means, as as it as he go, as you go on to read Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, I'm going to look at some verses I think this morning uh, from Leviticus that have been kind of on my heart. What that means, the, the ones that are walking in the covenant are the ones who have their eyes, and their heart, and their will turned towards the Lord, and their backs turned on self or on Egypt or on flesh, okay? Th- those, those who are keeping the covenant are not those who just believe that God brought them out of Egypt because every single one of them believed that God brought them out of Egypt. There wasn't a single person among the 2 million or 600,000 males of, you know, that, could, that could draw a sword so add young kids and old people and women. There's at least two million of them. They come out of e- they come out of Egypt. There's not an unbeliever among them. Not one. Uh, I mean, how could you be an unbeliever? But you see very 
quickly that to be a believer in what God had done and believer in the existence of God and the power of God and even the presence of God. And to keep the covenant, to walk in the covenant are not the same thing. And so you can be, you can, you can have come out of Egypt and have the exact same beliefs as the ones that are keeping the covenant and yet not be a covenant keeper. You can, you can come out of Egypt and, and, and have the same beliefs as the people who are walking in the light and not actually be walking in the light. Because the, to be walking in the light is to have your heart and your mind and your will turned towards the, the light that is over the tabernacle, the God who had brought them out. It, it is, there's, there's a bunch of ways you could say it. You could say it is to love those who are loving the Lord, their God, or at least seeking to with their, with their mind and soul and strength and heart. Or you could say it's those who are fixing their eyes on things above and not on things that are on the earth. You could say it's those who have their backs turned on Egypt and their faces turned to Zion. You could say it's uh, like David, setting the Lord continually before him. Uh, you could say, uh, there's a bunch of different ways to say it. You could say it in the way that uh, Exodus says it right here. If you are carefully walking in my covenant and obeying my voice, this is... This is what our job is. If we are brought out of a condition of hopeless slavery to sin and death, to, to an inward Pharaoh that is cruel and will keep us to serve him just as long as we have a breath in this world and then join him for eternity in his darkness, if, if that's who we've been given power to come out of and overcome, then our job is to abide in or walk with or love or turn towards all the time, every minute, the, the one who has brought us out. It's not to practice, again, it's not to practice the religion um, and the beliefs of that God only. In fact, the practice of the, of, the, of the religion or the outward ceremonies and things of that God without the heart turned has always throughout the, all the entire scripture been called anathema or, uh, you know, strong statements. I hate your sacrifices, God says in several places. It's like, it's like breaking a dog's neck. It's like killing a swine if your heart isn't given to me. If you, if you aren't, don't have one of those hearts, this is Isaiah 66, that... that uh, is contrite and humble and trembles at my word, then your 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 burnt offerings are like the killing of a dog, and your grain offerings are like the cutting of a swine's neck. Those are, that's his own language. <clears throat> There's a verse in Jeremiah seven comes to mind where. Um, For I did not speak, this is in Jeremiah 7, 22. For I did not speak to your fathers or command them in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt concerning burnt offerings or sacrifices. But this is what I commanded them, saying, obey my voice and I will be your people and you shall be my people and walk in all of the ways that I have commanded you that it may be well with you. 
Yet they did not obey or incline their ear, but followed the counsels and the dictates of their evil hearts and went backwards and not forwards. Since the day that your fathers came out of the land of Egypt until this day, I have sent to you all of my servants and prophets, daily rising up early and sending them. Yet they did not obey me or incline their ear, but stiffened their neck. Well, our job is to obey his voice, turn to his light, submit our hearts, turn our face towards him and our backs towards the flesh, towards self. And what does that accomplish? You know, what does that actually do for man? If we live that way, what does it do? Well, I'll tell you what it does. It keeps us in a circle where God, it keeps us in a covenant where we're continually experiencing the benefits of, you could say that way, um, the power of God. If, if you walk in the light, see, if you stay inside of that covenant, if you walk with him in that light, if you're careful not to trespass the boundaries of that light and go out into the darkness of your own will and your own mind and your own way, if you stay inside that light, then those who are in that light there, then walk with him in that light because he's in the light. There's both forgiveness for sin and purification from all uncleanliness, all, all uncleanness in your heart if you walk in the light as he is in the light. But if you don't walk in the light, if you just believe that there is a light and talk about the, the experiences uh, that you remember seeing in Egypt, then you, you don't experience the benefits of that covenant. You have to have your heart. This is what I'm trying to hammer, hammer in. You, you can believe everything that's right, but if your heart goes out of that light, or look, I'm not talking about an occasional deviation and then a turn back, because there's a whole lot of pictures of how the Lord makes that possible for when a heart goes out of the, and then, and then wants to come back right away. You know, there, there is provision made for that. But I'm talking about the bent of your heart, the general will and desire and hunger of your heart. If it's, if, if it's not to stay inside that covenant and to walk with him in that covenant, then you, you can't expect that all of the things that then are revealed to be aspects of this covenant are going to be the experiences, experiences of your heart. It's kind of like a... a I was talking, I can't remember, maybe after after our meeting a couple of weeks ago, we, we, some of us were sitting around afterwards and talking about like, a, it's like putting you in a washing machine. If you stay in the washing machine, it keeps washing you. But if you go out of the washing machine and you just look at the washing machine and say, that's a neat washing machine. I, I, I believe that that's a washer, that that thing washes, you know, and and, and, and you have an, an agreement with what it is and what it does and whatever, but you don't actually live in it. You can't expect when, when the cycle dings at the end to be clean. And, and that's what I'm trying to say. If you, if you stay in the light, if you walk with him in the light, then it keeps you in the middle of that experience of God where the spirit of God is exposing and teaching and cleansing and defeating enemies, and bringing you onward. Now, see, you don't have to teach yourself, and you don't have to cleanse yourself, and you don't have to figure out which way to go to continue aiming towards the promised land. See, all of that's part of the covenant. That's not your job. 
You can relax about all that stuff. But what you can't relax about and you need to be diligent about is keeping your heart in the soft and low and tender place where it is careful to, uh, to walk in the boundaries of the covenant. So, if you do that, if you walk in the, the light as he is in the light, with your heart turned towards the truth, then you begin to experience how the Lord deals with your heart. And one of the things, and this is, this is something that is um, in, well, it's in, it's in a lot of different places, in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, but particularly in Leviticus. And that's where kind of, I've been just reading there and been thinking about these things as I've been reading through uh, Leviticus, is that the Lord begins to show you that you are unclean. There are, there are things that are in the flesh, that are of the flesh, that are growing on the flesh, that are growing in the flesh, that need to be divided from you, divided from you. Let me, let me just turn to Leviticus chapter 13. Yeah, I guess it's, it kind of starts in um, 12 a little bit, but in 13... It begins to talk about people that have various kinds of sicknesses or infirmities that are on their flesh and the, and how every single kind of thing that appears to be growing in the flesh or growing on the flesh gives us the necessity of going to the high priest to receive his judgment. To, to bring it to the Lord, to receive his judgment for what it is. And if it is... Uh, something that is unclean, then the Lord provides a way for it to be made clean. If it is something that is, it's interesting because in the in the Spanish, I think in the um, English version it says, I think it uses the word raw flesh, but in the Spanish and in the literal it actually says living flesh. If it is if it is living flesh, then the the person is unclean and he has to, first he has to go cleanse himself with one of the different pictures of, uh, of, of the, the cross and then he has to bring a sin offering to the, to the altar. In, in chapter 15, we see that everything that comes out, this, I mean, these are kind of gross things. I, they're not really fun to read about. But, but if you can... If you can step back and, and get the big picture, and maybe I'll just summarize. The big picture is this. God begins to show Israel that everything that's growing on their flesh, everything that's coming out of their flesh, everything, even the things that we would call completely natural, all of those things make them unclean and give them an opportunity to come to the priest. And there's a way that God has provided to separate those things from us. There's a way that God has made for us to bring a death, bring a separation that works in us, dividing from us the things that are contrary to him. In, in, in Leviticus fifteen thirty one, Thus you shall separate the children of Israel from their uncleanness, lest they die in their uncleanness when they defile my tabernacle that is among them. So 
What God has done in this circle is he has provided a way for man to be separated from his uncleanness. And what that is in the pictures that we've been talking about is this altar. He puts this altar right in the middle of the, of the camp. He puts this altar in a tabern- in, in the, at the door of the tabernacle. And this altar, this brazen altar, is always uh, burning with fire. Raphael was talking about this, uh, I think, in the, thing that, the short thing that he shared on, on last Friday night, that there's this altar that's continually lit, always burning in the middle of the camp. And, and so if you can just picture this altar like a tool, uh, it's, like a, it's like an instrument that God has given his people. He puts it in the middle of his camp, and it's, it's given to them as a way that Israel can continue walking with their God, and everything that is appearing on them, growing on them, coming out from them, every form of sin and transgression and guilt, not just in the things that are the the the, phys- the things that are manifested in physical ways, <clears throat> like the um, emissions it says that come out of the body, or the or the leprosy that grows on the body, but also every form of sin and trespass. And there's long lists of all the dif- all the different kinds of sin and guilt and trespass uh, trespasses. All of them are are contrary to the nature of God. In other words, whenever anything, whenever the Lord opens the eyes of Israel to see something about their hearts, about their lives, about something that's coming out of their flesh or growing in their flesh, something that's contrary to the law of God, something that's contrary to the nature of God. Every way that God makes that manifest to them, then there is a, there's a tool. There's a, not a, it's not a very good word. There's a, um, there's a way provided that Israel can experience those things separated from them, divided from them, and continue walking on with the Lord in that in that covenant. And that is the altar. The altar is in the middle of the of the, the camp. It's right in the center. It's right the brazen altar, the altar where flesh is consumed, where where the priest makes a, a literal physical division. Um, in the sin offering, I don't know if I'll get into that or not, but the general picture without maybe getting into all the details is that here, here's a people that have come out of Egypt. They don't know God. They don't know themselves. They don't know righteousness. They don't know uncleanness. They don't know the purpose of God. They don't know what defiles them in the presence of God. They don't understand who God is, what God is, where God's going. They don't know any of that. And every time they act in their own will, in their own mind, they always, um, they always go astray. And so God has provided, uh, in the midst of his covenant, if they'll walk in his light, if they'll walk in the boundaries of that covenant, he's, he's given them a way to see. In the old covenant, we're talking about obviously laws that are written on parchments and tablets. In the New Covenant, we're talking about a, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus that's written on the heart. It's the law that is light. It shines in the heart and it begins to show you, it begins to show you the things that have no right to be in that circle, that have no nothing that they can mix with in that circle of light, in that covenant with God. They're not part of, of what he is, who he is, 
they're not congruent with his nature. And he begins to open your eyes to see them. He shows you things that are growing on your flesh, growing in your flesh. He shows you your leprosy. He shows you things that that shouldn't be there. And he calls them unclean. He calls them sicknesses. Now, again, these are I'm not talking about natural sicknesses, obviously, or natural uh, emissions and all of that kind of... I'm talking about what those things were always pointing to. They're always pointing to the things that are in us that are coming out of us or being spread among us or growing on us or being shared uh, between us. The ways that the heart of man, the life of man transgresses, goes against the nature and life of God. Those things are shown to us. They're not shown to us before we start walking in the light. We assume that all of those things are okay. That's what Israel always did. Those who would not walk in the covenant, like the sons of Korah, they said, why why is Aaron the only one that can offer up incense to the Lord? We can do that too. They didn't, they didn't see their own uncleanness. They didn't see who was accepted or what was accepted by God. They had their own ideas about what it meant to serve them. And God manifested his disagreement by, by opening up the ground and swallowing them. And what I'm trying to say is that as you, as you walk in the light with him, as you keep your heart turned towards him and keep your heart submitted to him and listen to his voice, then and only then and not before then, you begin to find and feel in yourself the things that have no right to be in that circle of that covenant, that relationship. And as the Lord makes those things clear to you, he always points you to bring them to the altar. They're always brought to the altar. Even the, Again, even the things that we would consider natural bodily functions— they required sin offerings, every single one of them. They all had to be, after they had, they had, there's different things to do to deal with all of them to make them clean, and then they had to bring their sin offering to the altar. And in the sin offering, God had provided a way to separate from them the thing that had been growing on them or flowing from them or, or was contrary to the will of God that was working in them. And through them, he provided a way to do that. And that's the kind of the picture uh, that I, wanted, I want you to carry in your minds. Israel comes out of Egypt and is drawn up on eagle's wings into a covenant with the Lord's presence, into, the covenant, into a covenant with, with God. That's a very real beginning. It's a very wonderful thing. We could attach a whole bunch of verses to, to that reality that talk about what God has done for us through Christ. But then begins what God desires to do in us by Christ. You see? One is that God in his own mercy and love and goodness and power has overcome what we could never overcome, opened a door and brought us out into a covenant, drawn us near to himself. That's a wonderful thing. But then begins, if you will keep my covenant and if you will obey my voice, I will make you into a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. And so now those who have been brought to him have to live in such a way. And that's, that's the part that I'm 
really hoping that we can see with more clarity or maybe just every week go a little bit deeper in understanding as we talk about these things, that to walk with him is not just whatever we imagine it means. It's not just holding on to the belief that God took us out of Egypt because a lot of Israel, all of Israel, held on to that belief and most of them it says God was displeased with them and they fell in the wilderness and he swore that they would not enter into his rest. So there's something for us to do and if, and if we do it, then everything is done by him. And the one thing that's required by God for us to do is to walk with him in his light, to, to listen to his voice, to watch in his light to give our attention to the light that's above the tabernacle. And as, as Israel, or as we learn to live that way, because Christianity isn't a belief, it's a life. It's a life that we learn to turn to and abide in and follow and love and experience growing in us. That's what it is. And as we learn to live in that life and by that life, then the Lord begins to show you things coming from you, working in you, that have always been there. They were there in Egypt when you called them your friends, when you called them your gifts, when you called them your, what I don't know what you called them, but when you, when you begin to walk with him in the light, you see them for what they are. And, and, and as every one of those things is seen and felt, as the Lord separates the precious from the vile, the evil from the, from the righteous, the clean from the unclean, then every one of those things is brought to an altar. And that altar is where a division takes place, where the priest actually, and this is the picture, just a real general, I mean, a very brief overview of the sin offering. The sin offering is... Whatever it was, whether if it was one animal, sometimes it was one animal, a goat or a bull or whatever, and sometimes it was two because the people were so poor they had to bring two little turtle doves or two pigeons or something like that. But in either case, uh, there was a separation that took place. The priest took all the fat, and that I think representing that which was good, that which made a, f- a sweet, f- swelling, sm- smelling aroma unto God, was placed on the altar to burn. All of the rest of the animal, all of its legs and its hide, its skin, its head, everything else that was its flesh, was dr- then dragged outside of the camp and burned in, um, in, in, in the place that's called Gehenna, the place where there was always a fire uh, burning, to, to consume and to destroy the flesh. And so that, that was always there. And so and, and what I'm, the reason I mention that is because that's what the cross is continually doing in us. We see something in us. We find something springing up in us, moving in us. Uh, again, I, we could give examples. Something that we know, a desire, a lust, anger, fear, insecurity, control, anything that the Lord shines his light upon in our heart. And here, here comes an opportunity to bring it to the priest and have him separate what is of the Lord 
and what is to be dragged outside of the camp and burned. And that's really how the, the daily cross works. That's why Paul says in Romans chapter 12 that we are to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice every day. That we're, pre- we're to present ourselves on that altar every day, that we're supposed to keep the fire lit, never let it go out on that altar and bring the things that we, uh, that, that we see that the Lord makes manifest to that cross, to that altar. Don't let the flesh get down from the altar. Keep it there. It's your daily offering. It's your reasonable service. That's what it says in uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 1. That's our, our reasonable ser- service, to tie the, the, the sacrifice to the horns of the altar. And that's really what the daily cross is all about. It's about walking in the light, seeing by the light what is not, cannot live in the light, cannot abide the presence of the light. Bringing that in our own hearts in true confession, true agreement with the mind of God, loving his light that shows us the things that are contrary to to it and bringing them to an altar that he's provided in the middle of the camp. Letting the priest bring his judgment upon everything that is working in us and then separating it, killing, destroying, and dragging away what should never have uh, a place in that relationship, in that camp, in that covenant. I guess I'll, I'll just probably stop there.